Just a minute. I'm coming. FBI, open up! Just a minute. Hello, everybody. This is Legal Man. Welcome to the show. This is going to be a good episode. I'm going to continue Spooner's great essay, a letter to Grover Cleveland, and we're talking about the Ninth Amendment. I'm going to feather in some information from the National Constitution Center and just show you what a bunch of frauds those constitutional conservatives are and how much they mislead people about a fundamental issue like this Ninth Amendment. And for people who don't know me, I'm a lawyer. I've practiced for more than 30 years. I'm America's most trusted and beloved lawyer because I tell them the truth. And the truth is I was a constitutional conservative for years and years and years. I was hooked. I was fooled. I was drawn into the grift Believed it all about the miracle and the foundation and the framers. And and then about 25 years ago, I got the Internet. And in fairly short order, I started figuring out it's just a complete scam, people. It's a con to keep me on a tax-paying plantation. And when I figured that out, I became self-certified as a master practitioner. And I don't need constitutional conservatives anymore. I also gave myself a Lifetime Achievement Award for the fantastic work I've done here on this podcast, telling people the truth. And recently, when Jones Plantation... The movie was finished. I awarded myself the Presidential Medal of Freedom for the incredible acting job I did as Mr. Jones in that movie. So go to jonesplantationfilm.com and get that movie. It's a fantastic project, and anyone who loves liberty needs to support that movie. Okay, let's go ahead and get this show going. So I'm going to continue Spooner's great essay, A Letter to Grover Cleveland, which has a terrible title, but is a fantastic essay, and we're getting close to the end now, and it's just packed with great stuff, and today's episode is going to include some discussion of the Ninth Amendment, and of course, the Ninth Amendment is basically never used. The court doesn't really rely on it. It's basically read out, that and the Tenth Amendment, they're basically read out, and even modern so-called scholars, they basically just read it out too, because They want the government to have power, and there's so much time, 240 years since this thing was passed, and it's been ignored ever since, that the purpose of it is gone. And I think that Spooner's essay and the addition he adds to it regarding the Ninth and Tenth Amendment are some of the most important things Spooner wrote. And that's saying a lot because Spooner says so many incredible things, and if people read Spooner— this world would be a very different place. And most people are not even familiar with the Ninth Amendment. It says that the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. And that's pretty straightforward. Sounds pretty simple, right? That just because we've enumerated certain rights in there doesn't mean the others aren't all retained. And beyond that, what does it mean? Well, people don't really know, and it's never discussed in law school, I can assure you, because the Supreme Court never sets it out, just like they never set out any basis for sovereignty, just like they don't set out any basis for sovereign immunity, just like they don't do pretty much anything that matters, just like they never explain how it is that the people weren't perfectly capable of seceding like they chose to prior to the Civil War. And in fact, I did my chat GPT conversation months and months ago when ChatGPT kind of really first hit before it became incredibly unreliable. And I proved that ChatGPT admitted all these things, that certainly the Ninth Amendment means what it means, and so does the Tenth, and therefore the people were, of course, free to secede. 
People always say, well, it wasn't retained. It's not in there. Well, it is in there. It's in the Ninth Amendment. All the rights that aren't enumerated are retained. <laughs> it's that simple. So just because you don't enumerate doesn't mean you don't retain it. And just because the states in the Tenth Amendment retain the rights as well. And since there was no power and authority given to the federal government that the citizens would no longer have the right to simply leave this voluntary association, therefore the people were allowed to leave, just like they're allowed to do all sorts of stuff. And Spooner's explanation of the Ninth Amendment is fantastic and completely and totally obliterates it, but it rests on natural law. And because natural law is not something that's ever taught, it's only discussed briefly by con-con scammers grifters basically in media and academia talking about Montesquieu or some other horse shit relating to the Constitution. It's all nonsense. They never explain it to people. And instead, what happens is you get these weird interpretations like we've been hearing in the essay from Marshall and things like Oggins versus Gibbons, where it's the state basically didn't do whatever it wants unless it's restrained in some form or fashion, and it's obvious and unquestioned and all these other things and these super broad interpretations. And this is all the result of very, very slowly building it up over time, starting with a foundation like Marshall laid on top of a document which is as incredibly flawed as the Constitution is, which was jammed through into a people that didn't really want it. It's quite clear. And... The way that they constantly misteach history and constantly tie the Constitution to 1776 and the Revolution, it's utter nonsense because nobody was fighting for the Constitution. Nobody was. And in fact, after the war, they chose an unbelievably decentralized form of government. And what happened was you had these scammers working on the system, and then they basically create these reasons that we have to have a so-called more powerful federal government, and they go out and they massively overstep their authority, create this brand new government in secret, and then shove a vote through, which isn't even a vote of the people. It's a vote of the people to vote for elections, to get representatives to go vote for the Constitution. Then they don't require any kind of supermajority in order for it to be passed. And then you have absolutely no real records of what went on with any of these votes, who might have been swayed or anything else. And so the Holy Constitution vote is a total joke and how it has been. And it's just completely ignored. But those are all additional points. So let's get into the essay. We are going to start in section 25, which is pretty close to the end of the thing. And I want to read the paragraph right before it so we can kind of get a flavor for where we are because it sets it up. This system of false definitions, false assumptions, and fraud and usurpation generally runs through all the operations of our government, state and national. There is nothing genuine, nothing real, nothing true, nothing honest to be found in any of them. They all proceed upon the principle that governments have all power and the people no rights. <laughs> oh, I love that section so much. There's so much in this essay I love. It's so dead on. This is the way it always is, that the government has this broad discretion and can't be challenged this and overwhelming that. And there's a government of this and that and the sovereignty this is the way they speak, and the people are so brainwashed that even the con-cons speak like that. And I'm probably going to read some of an article from the Constitution Society or some shit like that that sets out the Ninth Amendment and gives some modern interpretations. You can see what a bunch of frauds these supposed con-cons are 
guys like Bork and other people who people push as these big individual rights people. They're all frauds, people. All of these people are frauds. If any of these people were honest, they would speak like Spooner and they would explain how the government is a criminal enterprise. And in order to do that, you can't work in government. And so they don't ever bite the hand that feeds them, which is government. All right, let's start this section. But perhaps the most absolute proof that our national lawmakers and judges are as regardless of all constitutional as they are of all natural law and that their statutes and decisions are as destitute of all constitutional as they are of all natural authority is to be found in the fact that these lawmakers and judges have trampled upon and utterly ignored certain amendments to the Constitution which had been adopted and, constitutionally speaking, became authoritative as early as 1791, only two years after government went into operation. And he's right. He's talking about the Ninth and Tenth Amendments, which he lays out here in a minute, which we may or may not get to all of it. I know we won't get to all of it today, but it's such a hugely important topic, I want to make sure that we cover it thoroughly. But he's pointing out the fact that here in 1880, when he's writing, that all this stuff has just been continuously ignored. And that he shows again and again in the decision that we gave quotes from the way Marshall saw the power of the government. And when you see his interpretation of the Ninth Amendment, you see what a fraud it is. So let's continue. If these amendments had been obeyed, they would have compelled all Congresses and courts to understand that If the government had any constitutional powers at all, they were simply powers to protect men's natural rights and not to destroy any of them. These amendments have actually forbidden any lawmaking whatsoever in violation of men's natural rights. And this is equivalent to a prohibition of any lawmaking at all. And if lawmakers and courts had been as desirous of preserving men's natural rights as they have been of violating them, They would long ago have found out that since these amendments, the Constitution authorized no lawmaking at all. Now, I know most people hear that. They, well, that's insane. And you can look at Article 1, Section 8 and blah, blah, blah. Okay, it's true. They can make these so-called laws, but the purpose of laws is to protect the natural rights, not to create arbitrary rules. And that's why I've discussed natural law. I did his whole essay on it and If you've been following along, then you understand that the difference between protecting a natural right and creating some new statutory arbitrary right or law is huge. And it's the whole game. And until people understand that huge, incredible distinction, all of the scammery that goes on with regards to what the federal government supposedly can and can't do will never be figured out by people. And that's why people are never taught natural law. Because once you go into this area of arbitrary rules, that Congress can simply make up arbitrary rules anytime it wants about any basic topic it supposedly has authority to do, regulate commerce, i.e. make up any rule it wants that they claim somehow affects any kind of interaction among people. I read you all those crazy definitions that the Supreme Court has found. It just turns it into a complete charade and the idea that the authority is somehow enumerated and the powers are limited and all this other stuff. That's all been obliterated by the courts. It's totally obliterated by the courts in reality. Now, in lip service, they give lip service to all sorts of things, just like they say things are safe and effective, but they're not. 
when you look into it, there's nothing safe and effective about any of it. It's just redefining safe and effective. Just like here, they redefine limited and they misdefine what it means to regulate. All right, let's continue. These amendments were 10 in number. They were recommended by the first Congress at its first session. In 1789, two-thirds of both houses concurring, and in 1791, they had been ratified by all the states. And from that time, they imposed the restrictions mentioned upon all the powers of Congress. These amendments were proposed by the first Congress for the reason that, although the Constitution, as originally framed, had been adopted, its adoption had been procured only with great difficulty and in spite of great Objections. These objections were that, as originally framed and adopted, the Constitution contained no adequate security for the private rights of the people. You ever hear anything like this, that there was this huge objection? No, that's not how it's framed up. It's always framed up in these fantasies about the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalists, and there was some concern and they had to jiggle it around a little bit. That's not what happened at all. That's not what happened at all. This thing was a scam that got pushed through. And in effect, since then, they have been spending 240 years covering it up. Imagine how much cover-up has occurred in that time. And the things you're going to hear from Spooner about this are things that you're just never going to hear anywhere else. That's why I want to read a little of that other article, just to give you a little contrast. Let's continue. These objections were admitted by very many, if not all, the friends of the Constitution themselves to be very weighty, and such as ought to be immediately removed by amendments. And it was only because these friends of the Constitution pledged themselves to use their influence to secure these amendments that the adoption of the Constitution itself was secured. And it was in fulfillment of these pledges and to remove these objections that the amendments were proposed and adopted. The first eight amendments specified particularly various prohibitions upon the powers of Congress, such, for example, as those securing to the people the free exercise of religion, freedom of the speech and the press, the right to keep and bear arms, etc., etc. Then followed the Ninth Amendment in these words. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage other rights retained by the people. Here is an authoritative declaration that the people have other rights than those specially enumerated in the Constitution and that these other rights were retained by the people. That is, that Congress should have no power to infringe them. Okay, I think that that's a very fair reading of the statement that, look, the fact that we've enumerated certain rights in these amendments um, is not in any way to be construed to deny or disparage the other rights that are retained by the people. And so what are these other rights? What can they ever be? And, of course, he makes it clear that these are the natural rights. And there's obviously nothing else they ever could be. And the explanations for what they actually could be are so ludicrous in any kind of modern constitutional authority that the court just simply ignores it because there's no way to touch upon it. You can't touch upon it for the same reason they couldn't describe what the natural obligation of a contract was. Because as soon as you do, it goes into natural law. And as soon as you do that, it shows the extreme fraud that's going on with this arbitrary lawmaking 
that the Congress is undertaking. And so here's what Spooner says. What then were these other rights that had not been enumerated, but which were nevertheless retained by the people? Plainly, they were men's natural rights, for these are the only rights that the people ever had or consequently that they could retain. <laughs> and as no attempt is made to enumerate all these other rights or any considerable number of them, and as it would be obviously impossible to enumerate all or any considerable number of them, and as no exceptions are made of any of them, the necessary, the legal, the inevitable inference is that they were all retained and that Congress should have no power to violate any of them. Again, there's no way to argue with anything he just said. There just is no way to argue with it because the statement simply makes no sense if you try to give it any other interpretation. And once you give it that interpretation, the interpretation it has to have. Well, now Congress is screwed and Spooner is correct. And so the interpretations they give it make no sense and turn it into this thing where it's, oh, it's just kind of a hodgepodge, a catch-all, uh, kind of an explanatory thing. Uh, it's like, uh, no, none of those things are accurate. And so what I want to do right now is I want to give you, by reading from an article in something called the Constitution Center, that you can find at the constitutioncenter.org. This is a nonprofit devoted to the Constitution. It's clearly a semi-public kind of place where you go. And in fact, I'm going to read what it says to you if you go to their homepage and you read about the so-called National Constitution Center. That's the name of it. And here's what it says if you go to the About page. The National Constitution Center brings the Constitution to life for visitors of all ages, a private nonprofit organization, the center serves as America's leading platform for constitutional education and debate. As the Museum of We the People, the center brings the Constitution to life for visitors of all ages through interactive programs and exhibits. As America's Town Hall, the center brings the leading conservative and liberal thought leaders together to debate the Constitution on all media platforms. As a headquarters for civic education, the center delivers the best educational programs and online resources that inspire citizens and engage all Americans in learning about the U.S. Constitution. So, best I can tell, this thing has a museum there in Washington, and it's held out as, in effect, this sort of place you go where if you want to learn about it, this is it. It's a nonprofit and all this other shit. <laughs> and so you hear what the Ninth Amendment's about. And let's listen to a couple of ways in their Ninth Amendment article that I pulled up that I will link. It describes interpretations of the Ninth Amendment, what the courts have actually done with it. Here's what it says. And I'm starting in the middle of the article. So it goes to the beginning of the article. It goes through and, and describes how it was supposedly got there. And I think it's, again, another distortion of the reality of what it is, but you can decide that for yourself if you want to read through it because how it actually ended up getting adopted, does it ultimately matter? It's as much scam. How, we're never going to find out the truth. We're never going to find out the truth of any of it, but we can know what people say about it, and that's what we're going to talk about. So here's what the article says. Since its enactment, scholars and judges have argued about both the Ninth Amendment's meaning and its legal effect, and the courts have rarely 
relied upon it. Isn't that interesting? Why? Why are they rarely relied upon it? It seems awfully important, but they don't ever talk about it. During his failed confirmation hearing to become a Supreme Court justice in 1987, Robert Bork analogized the amendment to an ink blot, which hid the constitutional text that was under it. Does this sound like the typical con-con horse shit? An ink blot. Just as judges should not guess what was under an ink blot, he argued, so too they should not guess at the Ninth Amendment's meaning. You like this? So it's basically just a footnote that means nothing. You can't know what it means, just ignore it. We can't know, let's ignore it. So the people fought a war, they have all this shit you heard all about. It's going to protect so much, you've got this thing. The enumeration of the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. Let's just ignore that. It's an ink blot. Let's not talk about it. This is Bork, the supposed fantastic super conservative. This is what he said. <laughs> Bork's very public denial that any meaning of the amendment could be discovered fueled intense academic interest in the original meaning of the text. Got this? So all the way for 200 years, nothing's even going on. And then Robert Bork brings it up, calls it an ink blot, and everybody just starts talking about it. And then here's how they describe it. And their description of the Ninth Amendment has nothing that Spooner has in his essay, which you will see later as I read on, maybe in this episode, maybe in another, but you can see right off the bat that con-cons have already screwed you. One of the most conservative so-called constitutional scholar is calling it an inkblot. It's utterly ludicrous. Let's hear what else they have to say in this article from the National Constitution Center. In the literature that developed, in other words, the literature that developed after Bork, so in 1987 on, there is no literature to talk about before that. It's just totally ignored by the court. In the literature that developed, much of the controversy concerned the original meaning of the phrase rights retained by the people. Since the 1980s, four rival interpretations of this phrase emerged. <laughs> and they're all hilarious. They're, they're all so ridiculous. Russell Kaplan claimed that it referred to rights that were granted by state laws, which could then be preempted by federal laws under the Supremacy Clause. <laughs> you like that? This is utterly ridiculous. Rights granted by the states and state laws. Total ignoring of natural law. Thomas McAfee contended that the amendment referred to those residual rights that are not surrendered by the enumeration of powers. From this, it followed that if Congress is exercising its enumerated powers, it cannot be violating a retained right. <laughs> that sound familiar? From the Marshall Gibbons v. Ogden, if it's in there, well, it can be as broad as you want. You've given them all up. We turned it all over to them. We, we turned it all over to them so much so that they insist on these amendments, and this is one they put in, this ink plot. This is how fraudulent the entire discussion is out in public. It's totally fraudulent. Akil Amar argued that its core meaning referred to the collective rights of the people, for example, to alter or abolish their government, and that to suppose it protected counter-majoritarian individual rights was anachronistic. You like this? This is the academic horseshit that gets spewed by so-called experts and scholars, and they make people feel stupid for not being able to follow all of this, what is the equivalent of cisgender language 
imported into constitutional discussion. Absolutely none of this shit makes any sense at all. Finally, Randy Barnett maintained that the amendment referred to the natural liberty rights of the people as individuals, which are also referred to in the Declaration of Independence, State Bill of Rights, and Madison's proposed addition to the preamble. Only the last of these approaches would have much application to legal cases or controversies. Got it? So the first three don't even apply to anything. And Randy Barnett at least is somewhat honest, saying that it's somewhat related to these declaration and individual natural liberty rights of the people, state bill of rights. But none of this stuff ever makes it into anything that has any substantive effect on your life. All that matters is that the Supreme Court ignores this shit endlessly and just says that the government has all the power and the people have no rights. That's all it is. Let's look at the rest of some of this article. Others have focused on the meaning of the phrase shall not be construed to deny or disparage. For example, while conceding that the rights retained by the people include the unalienable rights to which the Declaration of Independence refers, Justice Antonin Scalia has argued that the Constitution's refusal to deny or disparage other rights is far removed from affirming any one of them and even further removed from authorizing judges to identify what they might be. Oh, how dare they do that? They could never identify what a right is because then the government wouldn't have power. And to enforce the judge's list against laws duly enacted by the people. In this way, Justice Antony Scalia would deny the amendment any judicially enforced legal effect. Hi, it's Legal Man. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you appreciate the unique insight and information I provide, then go over to my Patreon account for The Quash and become a member. I have bonus shows and material, early access, and it's a good place to meet like-minded people. I have people ask me all the time, what can we do, legal man? (laughs) Well, start by voting with your pocketbook. It's the only vote that really counts. Support things that tell people the truth. Getting people to understand the truth is the only solution we have to this insanity. Look, I get it. There are a lot of people who can't afford to support my show with money. But there are a lot of people who can. And if you can and you like the show, you should support it. That's what free markets look like. The people running this scam, they have unlimited funding. I don't have support of that system. In fact, I get harassed because I tell people the truth that they don't want the people to know. So we have to stick together. So go sign up. Now let's get back to the show. In this way, Justice Antony Scalia would deny the amendment any judicially enforced legal effect. He got it? Another hardcore con-con. He's there standing up for us. His interpretation, again, it sounds great until you actually parse it and then you realize there's nothing there. The judge can't list anything that might actually be protected because if the government has passed an arbitrary law enacted by the people, which just means these corrupt criminal organization governments, well, then that's it. Then it's law. It certainly can't override that. The amendment is being read out. (laughs) Uh, Okay, here's another one. In contrast, the federalism approach advocated by Kurt Lash and Randy Barnett would give the provision judicial effect by narrowly construing the scope of the enumerated powers of Congress, especially its implied powers, under the necessary and proper clause. Okay, great. We're getting close. Is this in any way, in any form or fashion part of any debate or any 
opinion in this court. No. So this is just simply arguing in the wind. And guess what? There's no way to get it introduced in any form or fashion because you already have 240 years of so-called legal precedent. The courts all have to follow. And so it's all out the window. This is arguing about how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. Barnett also maintains that the Ninth Amendment mandates the equal protection of enumerated and unenumerated rights. Unenumerated rights should be judicially protected to the same extent that enumerated rights are protected. To implement this requirement, Barnett proposes a rule of construction, the presumption of liberty, to protect all the retained rights of the people by placing the onus on legislatures to justify their restrictions on liberty as both necessary and proper without judges needing to specifically identify the retained individual rights. You hear it? Do you get it? So once again, it's all slipped around, little pharyngified loads of shit. All the legislator would have to do is put a little statement in the beginning that the laws they're dreaming up are all necessary and proper, and then push into the record some made-up shit that shows the jab is safe and effective, and that the CDC has found it to be X, Y, and Z. That's all they have to do. So this guy Barnett is not really on your side. He's on the side of that the government has it all. If it just says it was necessary and proper, says magic words. Does it say anything in the Ninth Amendment about this necessary and proper restriction and allowance and exception? No, it says nothing about it, right? Nothing at all about it. So the guy who's the closest to anything that could ever help us. Of course, inserts a load of shit in there that completely destroyed it. As my buddy likes to say, puts a scoop of dog shit in the gallon of ice cream and mixes it all up. Does that mean it's delicious ice cream? No. Just because there's only one scoop in there, that's right, one scoop of dog shit ruins it. That's what the guy does. See, this is classic. This is the game that's played. And then the people are none the wiser. Because the con-cons all run around and argue about these different interpretations. Every one of which is total shit. They put you in an Overton window box and it'd never get out. Let's finish this preposterous article. <laughs> Finally, Lewis Michael Seedman argues that while it defeats the inference that the enumeration of some rights denies the existence of others, the amendment does not itself establish the existence of these other rights. <laughs> Listen to this unbelievable word game nonsense. Just as opponents of unenumerated rights cannot rely on the enumeration of some rights to defeat the claim that there are other rights, the proponents of unenumerated rights cannot rely on the text of the Ninth Amendment to prove that the rights exist or to establish what the rights are. Instead, in his view, the Ninth Amendment leaves the argument about unenumerated rights unresolved. Got it? It's meaningless. It's unresolved. There's nothing there. It doesn't do anything. Whether or not you can defeat this and enumerate that and recognize this, it's just right back to the brave heart. Are you prepared to acknowledge our rights in these documents and such? Those were lies when you first wrote them. This is what it always is, people. See, this is what it always is. It's an endless scam like this. It's an endless word game of scammery. This is all they ever do. <laughs> Uh, compare that to Spooner's analysis. Just compare it to Spooner's analysis. That these were men's natural rights. For these are the only rights that the people ever had or consequently that they could retain. 
Of course, he's dead on. This was back when it was written. It was all about natural rights and Montesquieu. What happened to all that shit? That's all out the window. We don't even get analysis of it until the 19 fucking 80s and 90s. And then you get that crap. Spooner said this. And as no attempt is made to enumerate all these other rights or any considerable number of them, and as it would be obviously impossible to enumerate all or any considerable number of them, and as no exceptions are made of any of them, the necessary, the legal, the inevitable inference is that they were all retained and that Congress should have no power to violate any of them. There's no other way to rationally read that statement that's in the Ninth Amendment. Unless you then go into this fantasy world where they literally make no sense. Where, in effect, the thing has no authority at all. No power, no judicial effect. That's what you end up with on the other scale. That's why those arguments sound so ridiculous in that article I just read you. That's why the argument is so preposterous. Because all of their foundational interpretations immediately result in the amendment having no actual effect. It can't have any effect because the only effect it can have is so clear and obvious, and that is that the Congress has no right to trample on any of these other rights that are natural rights. And guess what? If you do that, then the Congress's authority is just limited down to almost nothing, and there's no necessary and proper exception to it. It just completely shows you that the standard interpretation of the Constitution is so completely flipped on its head where it's up to the people and the government has the power unless that you can show they specifically don't, unless you can show with overwhelming evidence and that the discretion of the legislature must be given broad leeway and all this other shit that the courts put into it just shows that that's just all completely upside down. And if you went back to a people who just fought a long war for their own freedom, supposedly that's what we're told. And they picked the Articles of Confederation originally, which gave the federal government almost no real power, required basically unanimous consent of all of them, three quarters for most things, and only gave them a small amount of authority to do anything and didn't give them any taxing authority whatsoever. All they could do is request it. Didn't have any courts in the Articles of Confederation to turn this whole thing into a massive power grab. If you compare that and then you look at the Constitution and how it was jammed through and then all these bullshit interpretations and Marshall, it's just clear as day, people. It's a scam from beginning to end. The people who pushed it through, they knew what would happen. They did it. They gave a lot of wiggle room in there. And now you have what you have. Uh, isn't that hilarious? I mean, is that not just hilarious? And let me read a little bit more and then I'm going to pick it up again because it's so important to pick it up. And I really wanted to make that point with that argument, show you how the modern so-called interpretation, how far off it is from reality and how it just leads people into this dead end. And the fools who continue to imagine that constitutional conservatism is an answer, they're just being misled, horribly misled, by those very, very bad actors calling themselves constitutional conservatives in media and academia. They sell out their people every single day for their millions of dollars. So this is the last thing I'm going to read on this section from Spooner, because I think it ties it up nicely. Now, if Congress and the courts had attempted to obey this amendment, as they were constitutionally bound to do, they would soon have found that they had really no lawmaking power whatsoever left to them, because they would have found that they could make no law at all of their own invention that would not violate men's natural 
rights. All men's natural rights are coextensive with natural law, the law of justice, or justice as a science. This law is the exact measure and the only measure of any and every man's natural rights. No one of these natural rights can be taken from any man without doing him an injustice, and no more than these rights can be given to anyone unless by taking from the natural rights of one or more others. This is the reality, and the idea that the people turned over to the government the arbitrary right to dream up whatever laws they want, take as much money as they want from us, spend it on anything they want, which is obviously the situation we have now, which the courts claim is constitutional, is ludicrous. Nobody would ever do this. Nobody. And constitutional conservatism is a very elaborate scam that is concocted in order to cover up this fantastic heist of everybody's rights that's gone on under the guise of fantastic liberty and protection. That's all it is. And the Constitution, whether you want to believe it was Spooner's interpretation here, which is that it was very closely guarded and that's what the amendments did because the people didn't trust it, or you want to say the whole thing was jammed through as a scam in order to overwrite the Articles of Confederation, either way, you get to the exact same result. There's absolutely no way any rational group of people would turn over the power to the government that the government claims it has, and that the government claims the Constitution turned over, and that the constitutional arguments from constitutional conservatives in the court claim make sense. They don't make any sense. Nobody would do it. It's just word game scammery. That's all it is. (laughs) Uh, You can see why I love this part of Spooner's essay. There's so much more greatness in here. And this is so important. And I hope that giving you a flavor, and I encourage anybody to go look and see what some of these standard organizations have to say about the Ninth Amendment and how it's interpreted. And then compare it to Spooner's essay, especially when we're finished with the entire section, which will be at least another show or two before we're finished with the Ninth Amendment and Tenth Amendment sections. And compare them and just see what a total fraud it is. You'll see. You'll see. It's just a complete fraud. So... All right, well, that's all I'm going to read today. I hope that made sense to you. I hope you guys have had your eyes open a little bit more to the depth of the fraud that's going on and the incredible con job. And the reason I detest so much these constitutional conservatives in media and academia, why they do so much harm by taking everybody we want and everybody we need who wants liberty in a limited government and draws them into a ditch and beats them with a hose in that ditch of so-called constitutional conservatism and gets people believing the Constitution is some fantastic document that's helping us, the Supreme Court. We're going to somehow have an election and get back to it and get our rights back. It's just all total fantasy, people. Total fantasy. So, all right, that's it. I'm wrapping it up for the day on that. If you want to, you can follow me. I'm Legal Man at U.S. Crime Review on Twitter. I want to thank the people in Patreon you guys have a lot of integrity to support my show. And, you know, I, I try to tell people things that they simply aren't ever going to be told anywhere else. And the reality is there just aren't other people putting it together. And to the extent there's any lawyers who put it together or non-lawyers who put it together, they certainly aren't telling anybody because there's no money in this. The money's all in pushing this constitutional crap. That's where it all is. Or just kind of nibbling on the edge. And that's just not the truth. And I'm just not going to tell people things that aren't the truth. I was tricked by that whole thing for years and years and years. 
and I'm just not going to play that game anymore. So thank you to the people in Patreon who support my show, kick some skin in the game. I appreciate you guys. And I hope everybody has seen the movie Jones Plantation. If you haven't, go to jonesplantationfilm.com and buy that movie. If you have seen it, go back and get some merchandise, get a gift card, give it to some people. It's a great movie. I play Mr. Jones. It's a story by Larkin Rose. It's a great allegory about going from chattel to debt slavery and the scammery that is our so-called political system and the money system. And anybody who sees the movie, I just don't think you can fail to catch the point. Movies are a great way to reach people, and the ability to reach people is dramatically dropping and will drop very much more in the not-too-distant future as they continue to close the gates on this electronic prison, and they are very rapidly. So go to jonesplantationfilm.com and get that movie. And thank you to anybody who supports that project. And beyond that, I don't think there's anything else to say, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. You guys have been a great audience as usual. Everybody have a nice Saturday wherever you are. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Put your hands together one more time for Legal Man. More quash. More quash.